0: Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast,
1: the latest on shares, markets and investments. Now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into a company, Guidant, who is at the forefront of the AV, autonomous vehicle revolution. Guidant is a portfolio company of tech capital listed here in London. And we're very kindly joined today by Harold Braun, who is the CEO of Guidance. Harold, thank you very much for being with us today. Uh,
0: Hello, Jonathan. Uh, Thanks very much for having me. So we spoke earlier on
1: in the year, Harold, and there's been an awful lot happening since. So we're going to be doing a bit of a catch up today and see what's been happening at Guidance. But for people that aren't aware of Guidance, maybe didn't catch the first podcast, Please, would be able to give us an introduction,
0: first of all, to yourself as well as guidance, please? Yeah, I will do that. Thanks very much. Yeah, um, things are happening. Uh, thanks God, a lot of things going on, and um, uh, that that's of course um, very positive. And we go a little bit more into uh, details later on. Uh, first, about myself. Uh, my name is Harold Brown. I'm um, originally from Germany, uh, but I have two citizenships: uh, German and American. I'm in the US since more than twenty years. Um, was previously uh, president and CEO of Siemens Communications uh, here in the US. Um, then I uh, did uh, create a company called um, Harris Stratix Networks, brought them to um, uh, NASDAQ, and uh, was the president CEO of this company. And um, so after that, I did some, some other startups, and um, um, the, the last one uh, which we did was 2020. 2019, we started Guidant, and Guidant is a software company focuses on um, on software development for autonomous vehicles uh, to make autonomous vehicles safer. <clears throat> and uh, this uh, software, in principle, um, um, is um, uh, or, or will be integrated with the uh, software of autonomous vehicle companies. So we are not. Uh, manufacturing uh, vehicles ourselves, we are just, uh, as I mentioned, uh, developed software which runs on top of the autonomous vehicle stack of autonomous vehicle companies. And um, with that, our first use case is that we can tailor operate uh, autonomous vehicles from a remote monitoring and control center. Think about it like an, um, um, a flight tower at the airport, where you have flight controllers um, monitoring the skies and also um, you know in our case we can take over the control of autonomous vehicles in case they are in mishap situations or what we call corner cases so we can actually monitor them we can predict when they are in trouble with our artificial intelligence algorithms and then we can not only monitor them get uh, we can engage with this uh, uh, vehicles check in and out what's going on there and in some cases where we take where we need to take over control we can actually take take control of the vehicle and drive it get it out of harm's way or whatever is possible with the regulatories in these different countries so that's what we do uh, Jonathan.
1: Thank you very much Harold so as I said at the beginning of the podcast there's been a lot happening at guidance and we're going to be going through that through the podcast but to start with My understanding is, Harold, you were in Turkey very recently um, working on a deal uh, which is particularly exciting. Would you be able to give us some more details on that, please?
0: Yes, um, absolutely. So um, uh, why Turkey, Uh, why Istanbul, right? Um, So first of all, there is a a, a bus company, um, which is called Kazan, um, and Kazan is uh, the biggest um, bus manufacturer in Europe. And they are uh, outside uh, from Istanbul and they have a huge fleet of um, um, EVs, so electric vehicle buses, so electric vehicles, and also the biggest um, uh, um, fleet of autonomous buses. And they are, as I mentioned, the biggest bus manufacturers and they are live in Europe with uh, a bus in Norway, actually, where they have an autonomous bus um, deployed in a public environment so they are deploying the the biggest uh, um, you know amount of buses in in europe uh, ev buses and there is another company called ada and we um, this is um, uh, public uh, knowledge and we um, will do also a press release uh, with them and ada develops for them for this bus company the uh, autonomous vehicle software and also, the so to so say, the drivetrain or the um, y- you know, the the, the 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 um, the mechanical uh hardware to um, uh, you know, to integrate with this bus, um, uh, manufacturers directly at the manufacturing site and put their autonomous vehicle software stack into these buses. Well, that created, of course, the opportunities for us, other stack and guidance. AdaStack, uh, did. Um, help us, um, you know, working with this bus company and themselves together to say, why don't we integrate your uh, software, Harold, the guided Remote Monitoring and Control Center software into our uh, AV stack? That's what we wanted to do anyway, with also with any of the autonomous um, Vehicle manufacturers, right? And why don't we integrate your software directly with our software and then integrate it directly at the manufacturing side into any of the new buses? Well, that's the deal and that's what we're doing. And we signed a, a strategic partnership agreement with Atec. and uh, of course we are um, bus agnostic, but with Adastec, we are putting our software integrate our software together with theirs. And then put it directly in the manufacturing side into the, um, uh, in this case, the Kazan buses. But in the US, there's a possibility to do that also with the Vincinity buses. Um, This is um, companies called VNC, uh, Vincinity Motors. And um, there's another possibility where Adastec has their autonomous software in. And and the, the good news there is that we do it, as I mentioned, directly at. The manufacturing side, um, we put our hardware um, um, uh, uh, vehicle tail operation unit VTU into these buses directly at the manufacturing side, and of course our uh, software. And um, so we will do the same with this um, Vince, um, yeah, vicinity motor corporation VMC and uh, all other possible buses where Adastec and us can work together. That, of course, is a big deal. Why? Because for us, this is shifting a little bit the sales model. We have a direct sales model so far in the last three years, going directly to possible uh customers. but this uh, would be more uh, indirect sales model where we work with a partner where the partner then uh, put uh, their software into um, other vehicle companies' um, um uh, vehicles. That is kind of an indirect uh, model. And um, so, that of course is uh, fantastic that we um, uh, can do it via a partner also in their projects. Um, we had um, with Alastec also an, um, a pipeline review, um, uh, a global pipeline review, and say how many projects are actually coming our way uh, or are possible in 2024, so next year. So, we had already. Um, and a meeting with them, so we know exactly what is happening in the US, what is happening in the rest of the world, and we are planning to do the first kind of uh, upgrade to buses in January. Um, the first bus will be upgraded in um, in Istanbul, in Turkey, the second bus in Michigan, because the company Adastec is headquartered in Michigan, um, uh, here in the US, and their R&D facilities are in uh, Istanbul, in Turkey. So first bus upgrade with them in, in uh, Turkey, second uh, bus uh, uh, upgrade here in uh, the US, in Michigan. And again, there are customers behind it. That shows our pipeline. I'm not going into much on the pipeline, but we have already built it into our revenue plan for 2024, how many projects we uh, actually see there. So therefore, it's um, an exciting deal for us to have really a good pipeline, and the projects are all over Europe, Middle East, Asia, um, and also in the US. So that makes it really global.
1: Thank you very much. So it, it would be good to get a little bit more detail. How about what, what this revenue actually looks like for guidance in terms of how how it will be paid, the frequency of it? Is it per yeah. deal? Is there a licensing fee? Um, you know, if you can provide any details. On that. And then, how important is this particular deal for guidance in terms of future growth for the company and supporting further growth?
0: Yes. So, happy to do that. Um, The deal structure is as follows that there is a hardware component, which normally consists of our VTU, Vehicle Teleoperation Unit, and the appropriate uh, connectivity to a mobile network, whether this is uh, private or whether this is a public mobile network right so we have both options by the way that's an important one maybe we come to that as well we have a third option in connectivity which is satellite connectivity which i maybe come later on to so this what we integrate is a has a hardware component into a vehicle in this case a bus and then this is a one-time setup fee that's the deal structure and then the software which runs partially in that unit, partially in the remote monitoring and control center, which the customer can can actually uh, opt in or not, whether they want to do that themselves or whether the customer wants us to do that, us meaning guidance. And there is in the cloud a software, which is a, it's a license fee, which is a monthly recurring revenue. So the deal structure is one-time setup fee per bus, with a per bus license fee for the software, okay? So that of course gives us a a recurring revenue uh, theme. So that is in principle software as a service. So that is um, very important. And that is in a situation that we say per bus for one RCO, one remote control operator, as we mentioned before in the podcast, we have a, a one to five relationship. One remote control operator in the RMCC can manage five vehicles, right? When we go above five vehicles, then, of course, there is another deal structure in terms of what um, license fee. So it's a structured deal, so to say, right, um, uh, going forward. But um, easy, uh, a simple uh, explanation is setup fee, one-time setup fee, and monthly recurring revenue in a in a tiered model okay why is the deal so important for us because from the beginning um, we had different options uh, to go to market with in a direct sales model to say we're going to go direct to the customer uh, we have any autonomous vehicles we put our software in and we will ask the customer then here is the vehicle here's our software and we have the connectivity to this remote monitoring and control center we monitor your, your vehicle and also we can predict and uh, we, we, we not only monitor we can predict when the, when the situation gets into trouble or is in trouble and we can take over control um, uh, over the vehicle from a remote monitoring control center while, again, nobody is in the car, right? There is no driver. There is no driver in the car. So we are substituting the driver. So that model was... We provide everything, including the remote monitoring and control center. Then on the other side is we're just providing the software. And this is where the customer directly takes our small hardware uh, into the vehicle. And then of course, the software licensing fee, but the customer in this case wants to handle their own remote monitoring and control center or whatever they want to do with it. So. And that maybe is the faster model to market that we introduce our software into the vehicles and let the customer decide, do I want to have a control center or not? If you want, you can do it by yourself or we do it for you, right? So it gives us all options, uh, Jonathan. So very important for us and it's a faster go to market. Um, When I, and I, I think I need to explain that again, that we said our go to market our first model is the first mover advantage we see, not in kind of uh, robot taxis, which means door to door. I'm going from any place to any other place. No, that's not our starting uh, assumption. Our starting assumption on the criteria were as follows. We act in, or we we will put our services um, to customers forward in a geofenced area, low speed and fixed routes, meaning geofenced area could be in huge business campuses in areas dedicated in, in smart cities for um, a certain um, movements of the transportation services like in Jacksonville, where we have our first customer or in business campuses, or in residential areas, and, and, and so geofenced areas, low speed on a fixed route. So no door-to-door, so from any point to any other point, so fixed routes. And that, when you really think about it, a bus, um, a, a, a bus circle is also a fixed route. So that, that all makes sense for us right now, and we see that as the first mover advantage. So it, there come different areas now together for us in this particular case. And again, we are not looking only for this deal. We have also another deal going on with Ovitech in Estonia, where we bring a vehicle um, to the US in the January timeframe, mid-January. So we are getting at the moment from NHTSA, from the regulator, the OK to import the vehicle, which is a, what we call toaster, right? Which is a vehicle without steering wheel, without pedals, without anything, which we, you know, which we will demonstrate then with our technology in the US. So we have different kind of options uh, to market.
1: There's many points in there, Harold, that we're going to pick up a little bit later on uh, in the podcast. But I just want to talk about momentum in the area, in the sector at the moment, because I also understand that you've been in Europe at a couple of conferences recently, uh, obviously speaking with the CEOs of the companies leading this industry forward. What, would, what were some of the key themes that you took away from yes. these conferences? And what were your involvement at these conferences?
0: Yes. The key theme is, is going to happen right now. That was the thing. Everybody who was there, and that were the major companies from Japan, from Germany, from the US, uh, major um, um, automotive manufacturers, Um Uh, and truck companies. The major theme was going electric is not a question anymore. For example, the entire trucks and public transportation system and bus, there is no bus anymore, will be bought by anybody who is not EV, which is not electric. Uh, Trucks, uh, the entire fleet of major, major, major uh, vehicle manufacturers is going to be uh, electric. So the transformation from going um, a combustion engine to electric is not a kind of a question anymore. It's happening right now. The next step is the um, um, H2, right, Um, to to, to go um, uh, H2 hydrogen, right? So um, that, of course, gives them the opportunity um that people were talking about entire fleet will be electrified number one number two while we're doing that we go also um we have also vehicles going autonomous especially in public transportation on the trucking side and also uh, as i mentioned before in the public transportation side with micro buses micro um uh, transportation services like smaller kind of that's very important a smaller kind of vehicles, right? Because the companies, that was a big theme there, and I did actually underestimate that a little bit, that um, vehicle companies are going smaller and smaller. By the way, after that conference in Aachen, I was also at the Brussels in Belgium at the Bus World 2023. Amazing. Amazing what's happening in public transportation. So what I underestimate is the following and that was a theme again when we talk about the conference in Aachen Aachen colloquium it was about that companies like um, i can say whatever honda and m a n and bmw and all uh, you know and ford motor group and gm and so on and so forth uh, were presenting there and also the adjacent industries around them again and there were board members and there were c levels reporting uh, the the situations Electrification is number one. Autonomy is number two after that because, you know, they, they once said we can spend the money only, um, we can spend the, the dollar only once. But then after that, when we have that done, we go also into the next steps like hydrogen, right? So, and I saw that then also in Brussels. So, but what is happening? They're going smaller and smaller in terms of public transportation. And then They said, "Why should we also go all the time with a big bus? You know, we are in certain times, whatever from 10 to 1, nobody is in there, and then it picks up again from 3 to 6. There, you know. So what we do is we do platooning. The smaller vehicles autonomously will be um, platooning together in a long string, go the same route when a lot of people." Are um, you know um, taking these routes and wanted and and using public transportations in the morning and evening? But in between, the smaller portions of that train, so to say, the vehicles go off to somewhere else, and then they are in different areas with smaller vehicles, so they are platooning the vehicles. Guess what? This is all manufactured and all worked by uh, software developments in how to connect them. There's no connection in between, by the way, right? So, uh, and then how to manage them, all tailor operated right? Or monitored um, in such a way. So we we come into play there as well. So there are many interesting uh, use cases. So platooning was also something what I took. So number one, electrification is happening. Number two, autonomous public transportation services in any areas happening, platooning, next trend happening. So that was the biggest uh, takeaway. There's no question about it. The theme for me, which really um, satisfied me there, was that everybody is looking after monitoring such autonomous vehicles. And the trend to tailor operation and tailor assist is absolutely there. We are in the right business. That was, for me, the biggest takeaway.
1: Thank you very much. So I want to bring it back now, if we may, Harold, to the current business model. You, you've obviously you've signed the the first agreement uh, there for the buses in in Turkey, um, and they've that's been deployed into the first bus, and and, and second bus is going to be uh, lined up. I want to get an idea about the scalability in the near term of this model that could produce further reoccurring revenues for mm. Guidant. What, what does it look like out there in the market? You know, there have to be set pro- uh, projects, of course, geofence projects on fixed routes. How many more are there in the pipeline that are possible? not that there's already agreements in place, but the possible market, addressable market for guidance technology to go into such geo uh, fixed routes that are are being being powered by autonomous vehicles.
0: Yeah. Uh, So that, of course, is a question to the sales pipeline, right? And we see um, uh, from a direct business, uh, so two, like a direct business model, maybe one to two handfuls, uh, mostly in the U.S., Right, which are also driven by uh, RFPs, right, Uh, or directly engagement with business parks, um, um, uh, hospital areas, geofence areas like mining, which is more Latin America, um, uh, or uh, you know, uh, industry parks, business centers, uh, residential areas. So, um, visibility I have on one to two handfuls. but the indirect model via the partners like OviTech, like Adastec, with the Kazan or uh, VMC kind of buses behind it, I have visibility right now um, between uh, 60 and 80 projects um, worldwide. That doesn't mean that we are in every project that they demand tail operation, but in a majority of this, right? And that is the visibility for 2024, and. Um, so that means the contracts are, of course, not all closed, um, but um, in some countries like Norway, like um, Germany, like um, not, um, uh, Netherlands, I have better visibility, right? And that goes into a pilot project first. And then, of course, after six months, usually they go um, and have a bigger kind of number of uh, vehicles, right? So my visibility is maybe five, 10. Uh, direct to plus 50 ish for next year but again that doesn't mean we are in a very early stage and the customer of course has a big saying on this do I want monitoring tail operation or not but we feel that the majority of those will have also um, the request for tail operation and that is just with one company uh, Jonathan right so we we are a very small team right we need to invest. Uh, in uh, our software capabilities and also in the go-to-market capabilities because there is more out there in an early stage. And I want to make sure that I create a mind share with that what we're doing because the biggest obstacle for us is still, and for everybody else in the autonomous industry, is that people think that autonomous vehicles are not safe. That is the biggest obstacle which we have to make sure that we educate the broader public and say, here is what we do. Autonomous vehicles are safer than you driving yourself because we have 1.3 million deaths worldwide um, caused by over 90% of the people driving these vehicles. And But people don't know that and they have not experienced autonomous vehicles. So the, the biggest obstacle or roadblock for all people in the autonomous industry is that people still think Autonomous vehicles are not safe. And that's what we had to overcome with pilots and with deployments. That's what we are pushing for. So uh, sorry to get a little bit off track here, but you, I think you have somehow the numbers and what we see may be possible going forward.
1: No, that's that's fantastic. Thank you very much for elaborating on that on that point. And in the, in the same vein, I'd like to just get an idea, and I'm sure people listening to this would like to get an idea as well, We've spoke in some detail about buses, but the technology that you've developed and guidance has that's being applied to buses. How transferable is this technology to other forms of
0: transport? Ah, oh, very good question. As 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 I mentioned, we focus at the moment um, in uh, on the um, fastest mover into the market and the first adapters, right? and the first movers. The first movers for us are the areas in the public um, transportation service and geofence, fixed routes, low speed, right? So that's what we said. That are uh, the buses, micro buses, and also this smaller public transportation shuttles, right? When I talked about OviTech, their shuttle, Mika, is a shuttle. Six people in there and so on, right? Good. Um, these are the first movers. Our... Software and hardware can be adapted to any vehicle in this kind of size, from, from normal cars in, on the street, to buses, micro buses, to, um, uh, to uh, shuttles, right? And we can also go smaller footprint. Remember, this is a very small, the VTU, this vehicle tail operation unit, is a very small unit. The rest is software. And the cars, of course, need to have certain sensors or cameras, right? And the cameras can be either a LiDAR technology or, um, you know, cameras, high-end cameras, and and, and almost all the cars uh, have that. So the footprint is really very broad, right? From a bus to a small people mover, right? A two-seater or something like this, right? So that can be the adoption range. And of course, we see um, we see that maybe later on in smaller robots in a warehouse possible, right? So it goes it goes the entire kind of transportation um, is chain up to other use cases like smaller robots, security robots, um, maybe down up to drones. But we are not there yet. Right? And we are not focused on this. At the moment, the focus is on the first movers, which is public transportation, bigger buses to smaller shuttle services. And then it goes, to, of course, also to delivery devices, right, um, which we uh, see on the streets these days. And all of the delivery devices, by the way, have cameras and they are all tail operated right? Unfortunately, in a one-to-one relationship, on behind every single delivery device at the moment is a is a teleoperator yeah so this is this is the transferable thing public transportation in a broader mass from big buses to smaller shuttles to cars to delivery devices to robots that's where i where our product has a fit
1: thank you so one point i just want to pick up on this and, and this is again i i think people would listen to this would be interested to hear a little bit more about is the realities of this technology being deployed in normal passenger cars so the car that i have at, sat outside my house
0: mm-hmm. at the
1: moment the remote remote control monitoring centers you know, what, what are the realities of those uh, types of connectivity with uh, normal passenger cars what's the reality of that happening
0: anytime soon yeah, that is <clears throat> that would be a possible uh, scenario, right? So your car have to have the cameras uh, according to that, and you know that we actually can drive this car or you know move that car out of harm's way or whatever the situation is in that corner case. We, so that te- that technology needs to be in this car. Number one, number two. Do and there's one use case I explain in a second, um, and. So this is possible right now and it's happening right now with one company. And I would say even they are competitor, but you know, I don't see comp I, I don't see competitors. I'm happy that people moving into that area. So this is possible, but it has to have some requirements at um, your vehicle, right? That it that it has the right cameras and so on and so forth. So it's possible. Um, um the remote monitor and control center, as we mentioned earlier, can be anywhere in this world, right? Uh, out of latency reasons, I would say it is great if we would have something, let's say, we have in the UK, and we do that in London or the facilities around there, and it would be great. It would be uh, somewhere in the UK. But again, I can do it also from Boca and from from uh, Miami or from New York or whatever, wherever it makes sense. And we have good connectivity. Uh, um, um Uh, possibilities to this kind of cars. Latency is, of course, a a big thing there. So now, um, when will that happen? That is more a door-to-door service, Jonathan, what we said before. So let's say your use case could be whatever you are in North London, and uh, you went there with the subway, and you have your car in uh, South London somewhere. Right. And I say, oh, I, the sub is not driving this late, it's, I cannot get home. And then you tell your car, come pick me up. I'm not, I'm, by the way, I'm not making that up here right now. That is right now a use case which is going on in Hamburg and mainly later in Las Vegas. Pick me up car. The car, tail operator gets to the car wherever you are. Then the car, picks, car comes without a driver in it, whatever. And then you take your car and you drive it home yourself. Okay, why do I say that? This is happening right now. This is a business concept from a company which I had um, this is a founder I had also in Europe lunch with and also dinner with this company is called VAY. V-A-Y. And um, so um, this company's business model is you have a tail operator somewhere That tail operator is driving a car to a customer because the customer called home from their home uh, house, for example, and say, I want to go to the airport. I would like to have a car. A tail operator is driving that car to your house. You go into that car. You drive it to the airport. You get out of the car. And the tail operator from that company is driving the car back to the next customer. Tail operated. Nobody in the car. That's their business model. And meaning, they. Had, by the way, they have at the moment um, a permit to do uh, tests in Hamburg, and they are also in the US and in, uh, in, in Las Vegas. So meaning that is a use case transferable to um, a private car, so to say, which you mentioned, right? And that use case is happening right now. Are they successful or not? I, I don't want to judge that and whether that works or not. But it's in it's in deployment and in pilot stage, uh, Jonathan. So, with other words, it's happening. And by the way, I'm not making that up. <laughs> yeah, so that's <laughs> reality. <laughs> right? It's happening. It's happening. Yeah. So I put a commercial in for them because I like uh, you know this uh, model and I like that uh, tail operators are you know. Um, um, that tail operation is deployed. Yeah. Do do I Fantastic. want to do that? Do I want to do that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we will see what can develop down the road. Thank you. So th- there was just
1: uh, a point here that I, just want, I want to pick up on because you did mention it, and it was it's the satellite side of things. And I think listeners should should learn a little bit more about the connectivity side of things because that's very important when operating the, these systems to ensure. That there's connectivity at all times and, and the way that you're doing that is by the use of satellites and i, I believe that you've, you you've inked a few deals uh with organizations and you're in the process of enhancing the connectivity by using satellites so it'd be good to hear a little bit more about that please harold
0: yes this of course is a, a very uh important uh area so We, as I mentioned before, we got a grant from a company which is very close to NASA here in in Cape Canaveral. And um, this uh, company is called Space Florida. And this Space Florida um, gave us a grant because we applied with a concept of space communication um, to this uh, company, Space uh, Florida. And what I brought to the table was a partner from Israel uh, called NovelSat, they have satellite technology. I have an autonomous vehicle and autonomous vehicle software. What I proposed was to connect uh, a third a, a third way of connectivity to space. And I explained why I did that. Um, <clears throat> So we have at the moment two connectivity possibilities, which is a private network based on CBRS in the US, but there are other um, possibilities in the rest of the world. So private network, right? And um, a public network, 4G, 5G or whatever. But I wanted to have also a kind of a satellite communication thing. And what I had in mind was where the the trends are going and the technology is going. Uh, There is a race to space, and I gave recently a presentation at NASA, at Cape Canaveral, and it was very clear that there are many, many use cases. I explained the use case uh, with satellite communication. There is a race to space from different companies because there is a massive uh, trend going on to put satellite into low orbit, into LEO. Low orbit is defined as 100 kilometers to 2,000 kilometers right above the Earth ground. So if we can go to LEO and the majority of the satellites and LEO at the moment are from Starlink, right? From SpaceX, right? They are getting thousands and thousands up there. At the moment, there are 4,000 satellites up there from them. And they have in principle um, um, a trend going on to get to 40,000 satellites in 2030. So in low orbit. Low orbit means, as I mentioned, 100 to 2,000 kilometers. The majority of that is 400 kilometers above. This is somehow where the ISS is at the moment, the International Space Center. So so below or above there is uh, low orbit. And then, of course, we can um, also uh, um, uh, have low latency there. Anywhere in this world, there are then no um, uh, 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 wide spaces anymore where we don't have any connectivity. There's a massive investment from different companies in low orbit. Then the second one is medium orbit. Everything in medium orbit going from 2,000 kilometers to 38,000 uh, kilometers. 38,000 kilometers, of course, is the um, geo uh, geo area, 36,000 something, right? So the MEO, the medium orbit, there are at the moment in available channels and so on and so forth for communication. Jonathan, I want with the company, and we're having that grant, we demonstrate in early January, February, space connectivity with one of our autonomous vehicles to a satellite. And show then in June, we have to demonstrate that, therefore we got the grant, right? Demonstrate that we can connect um, a, a vehicle to the higher orbit, which is the geo-synchronous um, uh, uh, orbit, or to MIO, to medium. And they called us already in and want to have more uh, uh, technology. They meaning the, um, the uh, Space Florida Organization and the Israeli Innovation Organization want to have more technology into Leo and Mio, low orbit and medium orbit. That will be a trend, and we will be the first to show that we can, in in, in good solid latency, connect autonomous vehicles to space communication. And that will be. And maybe you have seen the uh, press releases uh, last week. There was a um, there was some experience going on into the uh, ISS. And yesterday there was, uh, from there, a laser beam with a massive um, bandwidth communication going from the um, ISS, 400 kilometers up the ground, to the Earth back, meaning in 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 the future there will be laser communication going on there. I'm not going there yet. I want to have clear that I want to have connectivity and also handoffs between private networks, public networks, and space networks, space communication, satellite networks, so that we have really solved the connectivity issue. So, that's been, so. sorry for the long answer, but I think it is extremely exciting to get into space with this kind of use cases as well.
1: So, just as a question on that, Harold... You know, you get this up and running, you get the, the satellite connectivity. Will all of the autonomous vehicles be connected via satellite, or will they be used or will they be using satellite as a backup to another form of connectivity on the ground?
0: Um, I, I see it as an um, addition. I You can also say as a backup, I would call it redundant connectivity so that we have redundant networks, possibilities to switch automatically to the best coverage. Therefore, I would call it redundant and whatever, wherever the vehicle is in this world and wherever the software decides I have better connectivity at this private network right now here, unlicensed, for example, or to this public network or to the satellite network, I'm choosing the best connectivity options in order to have the best communication bandwidth, um, speed, and also with that best latency. That's how I foresee that.
1: Thank you. So... We've been covering and discussing, of course, guidance technology on the autonomous vehicles and software there. We're just going to finish off now, if we may, Harold, by looking at Revive Energy Solutions. That's a newly spun off business which holds uh, guidance regenerative shock absorbers. It will be good to get a little bit more details about what's been happening there recently. It's obviously been an exciting year. I understand there's been some tests going <laughs> yeah. on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think we could probably do an entire podcast on, on Revive. But, <laughs> exactly. Uh, we will, <laughs> we'll try and touch on it briefly just to give people a, a good idea of how they work and what's been happening there and the progress that's been happening.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, now was, yeah. Lots of things happening there. So uh, as um, um, you are your audience knew uh, that we had also in our portfolio um, a patented solution um, and we put this patent into a prototype and the prototype we went into um, testing with uh, independent test authorities and with one paid uh, proof of concept with a major tier one um, oem here in the us which was successful and uh, their tests, of course, and we are pushing the envelope even further because we also um, uh, filed another patent in that area. While we were doing this, I saw more and more activities coming in and inquiries coming in from other companies about that solution. So a regenerative shock absorber, um, in principle, uh, transform road vibration into valuable electrical energy. And then with that, we can uh, actually charge the battery or use that energy for anything else in the car, which then not draws um, power or energy sorry, uh, from, the, uh, from the battery in the car. So that is this um, regenerative shock absorber. And from us, this revolutionized uh, the electric vehicles. We call it also energy on the move or drive the charge meaning, well, you are driving, you're generating energy from your shock absorbers, not only from regenerative braking. We believe that every car in the future will have both regenerative braking and regenerative shock absorbers. Our regenerative shock absorbers would increase by one-time charge of a car, let's say 350, 350 kind of miles per charge, would actually generate between... Uh, 8 and 12 miles um, on that charge when you have four shock absorbers from us in the car producing energy. That is massive, okay? So, and we have proven that point with these independent test authorities and so on and so forth. So, hence, there are many um, people or uh, um, uh, autonomous and electric, actually, I have to say, electric vehicle companies inquiring and want to know more. I had now, in the last two days, I think I mentioned that to you, and I cannot mention the name from this car company, three um, interactions with a major uh, EV um, manufacturer um, here in, in the U.S. And they are going right now to market. But anyway, that that's this. There is a lot of interest uh, for this. And... What we did, because of this kind of movement, we decided to have a more focused go-to-market strategy. We spun the uh, this solution off from Guidant to a separate subsidiary. And this subsidiary is called Revive Energy Solutions. And this is a 100% Guidant company. So we spun it off. To have a more focused approach to market that we when we talk to the people um, they have their they, uh, they, they have interest in that that we are not talking about guidance on the remote monitoring and control center side which they might not be interested because there's a different kind of uh, industry that we can directly talk about revive energy solutions and there are more ideas about um, we have, and that would all belong into Revive. So that's why we um, span off the company into a 100% subsidiary of Guidant called Revive Energy Solutions. So now what we did, we have all the data. We have proven our design principles. We have prototypes. We have everything for people to take a look at and then take it from there. What is our go to market? Our go-to-market is that somebody is manufacturing this and have a kind of royalty licensing agreement with us because we do not want to manufacture a shock absorbers. We want to license our technology uh, to um, interested companies. And that is happening right now. And we are pushing the envelope further um, where we said that we are not wanted to only harvest the energy, you know, generate energy from the vibrations but also interacting from the outside the generator in the shock absorber to make it uh, more intelligent making it more intelligent in a way that you can also automatically adapt to the road size to the road surface that you can predict and that you can map Uh, what raw surfaces we have, we can sell the data to um, any companies who are interested in this. There are so many ideas around that so that we say, okay, we are going to put um, some people with a focus effort on this revive. That's where we are today. And and, uh, hopefully we can make sure that everybody understands that we create energy on the move. While we are driving, we are creating energy. Harold, that's that's great. I mean,
1: <laughs> there's there's an awful lot happening there, and as I said, we could probably have done a completely standalone podcast on revive, and and I'm sure when more starts to happen and we're able to share share more, we'll be doing that. Um, and I think very that would be great. there be exciting developments there on both sides of the business. Uh, so always been a pleasure to have you on, Harold. Thank you very much.
0: No, no, Jonathan, that would be fantastic, because I would bring then our CTO, Dr. Greg Ades, uh, to the call, and he can into go into much further technology details about the shock absorbers, and I would really welcome that. if we That is exciting stuff, right, as we discussed, uh, and we, he can go into more detail there as well. That would be great. I'm happy to do that.
1: Yes, I think we do that. So people listening to this, do stay tuned for that. Uh, in the not too distant future, we'll organise that podcast and we'll be delving further into the regenerative shock absorbers and the technology there and how it helps, most importantly, range anxiety in EVs. That's one of the big things I feel that are holding EVs back at the moment and this could be a solution to that. So we'll do that. So Harold, thank you very for being with us today.
0: Thank you very much, Jonathan, for having me and looking forward to the next one.
1: And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.